0: welcome to yolitics the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics hey guys uh, another episode of yolitics here it's the uh, unofficial podcast of the great state of Texas uh, Jason, And you look relaxed I'm very relaxed man look, this is like my our, our listeners can't can't hear this but I always have to like wear a a blazer i have like behind the door here just in case our bosses see this right i want to look look like i'm dressed up but i have a t-shirt what do you have on underneath there a tank
1: top or what is that
0: it's one of those things that chevy chase wore on christmas vacation what do you call those (laughs) things it just goes to my mid-chest level (laughs) (laughs) chest it up that's all that's all we shoot here what are you drinking today wheeler
1: uh, I am drinking an Allstadt Kolsch out of Fredericksburg that today. That is a
0: great beer, my friend. Allstadt. Yes, is, is that it is a- not
1: Allstadt. Sorry. Yes, it is refreshing and balanced. It says, and I agree. <laughs> uh, how about you? What are you having? I'm having
0: an old trusty favorite here, man. This is uh, local buzz. Um, ah, big big yes. fan of local buzz. I don't remember why they had to get rid of the the tops that opened all the way, but they had to get rid of those when they started selling it like nationwide. Um, huh, so okay.
1: So, you used to be able to open it like a big wide mouth at the top. And the
0: whole top would come off, which was. Which oh, was really well,
1: cool. maybe it was just becoming a little much. Maybe people were downing it too fast. Probably drinking it too fast,
0: man, but that's good. Hunt- Sip
1: responsibly.
0: Right. Honey Rye Golden Ale. Uh, I, I tell you, though, I, I, um, I went out of town to Broken Bow, Oklahoma the other day. Never been. Yeah, nice. And it was a cool little place and uh, had a few Allstadt beers that my friend brought. The the blue one. No, so you are those. You lagers? took
1: some import. You you imported to Oklahoma. Then you brought your Texas beers yeah, in.
0: Yeah, didn't Oklahoma have a few years ago where there's like two percent beer? Like you know, I, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it's like I always thought there was only two percent. of I don't the know, Texas but that beers. that
1: does sound like something Oklahoma would Oklahoma, do. Oklahoma, I mean, come on, yeah, three yeah, percent.
0: Yeah, a former Oklahoman who's on the call here with us, uh, our producer Taylor Lums said it's three percent. Actually, our other producer Michael McCardle. There's a lot of Oklahoma represented on this call here.
1: Excellent. Well, you won't find any in me. Yeah. <laughs> There's no Oklahoma here.
0: So let, let's talk about the the big news this week in Texas politics is going to be what happens in the Texas legislature. And it's something yeah. that we thought was going to happen on Monday. It's starting in the Senate, Senate State Affairs Committee. And we talked mm-hmm. about it uh, the past few weeks on Inside Texas Politics. It's called the election integrity bills that are out there right now. And it's... You know, nationwide, there are 250 similar pieces of legislation across the country that aim to reform the way elections are are done in Texas and across the country, Jason.
1: Yeah, we've just seen this marching through state legislatures, especially the Republican controlled ones all across the country, this in the wake of uh, November of 2020. And uh, a lot of it is predicated on uh, the, the, the fears uh, about the potential for voter fraud. Uh, this, of course, after we saw uh, unprecedented uh, accusations that there was voter fraud and that the results couldn't be trusted out of the November 2020 election. And of course, on the other side of that, though, Democrats say that basically, Basically, you are, uh, you know, foundationally basing all of these bills on what they call the big lie that there was voter fraud. Because as we saw in case after case after case in the courts, uh, none of them could show that, yes, we had a pattern here of voter fraud and it affected the outcome of the election. And so we see these measures. They are controversial and they are numerous, as you say, and they're making their way through the different legislatures, including now here in Texas, where uh, much of it is being spearheaded by Senator Paul Bettencourt, who is out of the Houston area, uh, and uh, he is behind a whole raft of bills. In fact, Governor Abbott was in his district office not long ago uh, touting the fact that Texas Texas needs to do more in this area.
0: And we'll have that state senator from Houston on in just a moment, a Republican down there in Houston. But our first guest is going to is a voice that we haven't heard talking about this in a while. We've had two Republican senators on our television program, but we're going to start this podcast with a deep dive. With a Democrat, and our uh, Democratic friend here is Edward Espinoza. He is from Progress, Texas. He's the director of Progress, Texas. It's a left-leaning organization that promotes progressive policies. It does rapid response media. If you're uh, if you're online, you've probably seen Progress, TX, uh, tweeted or retweeted somewhere talking about Texas politics. We called Ed up down in Austin to get a read on on you know what's happening with this, and and really what's at stake with this here in Texas. You know, getting ready for this interview, I was reading around and trying to find uh, out what people are saying about it. We've we've talked to Republican lawmakers uh, in the past about this, but I, I saw editorials from the San Antonio Express News and from the Houston Chronicle, just scathing editorials against the Republican leadership in the state. In, in your opinion, Ed, what's at stake with
2: SB seven? The, the big thing with SB 7, which is the big bad voter bill at the legislature, I know a lot of people don't follow numbers, but what you need to know is it's, it's a voting uh, voter suppression bill, essentially. And what's at stake here is that Texas has been one of the lowest voter turnout states going back decades. And this bill would ensure that Texas remains one of the lowest voter turnout states. And that's just unacceptable. You Can't think about this in terms of red and blue. You gotta think about this in terms of right and wrong. And what is right is that our democratic systems, a small d democratic, or that democracy is able to thrive here. And the way it's able to thrive is when people are able to participate. And when you slow that down, when you suppress that, that's wrong and that unfortunately is what this bill is trying to do by doing things such as limiting voting hours limiting how you can register to vote uh limiting the way that you can cast a ballot if you want to cast a ballot by mail you might and, and you're not old enough to do it you need a doctor's note not only is that unenforceable it's a violation of hipaa laws but these are the types of things that are in this bill and it's unfortunate that uh, that they've made it back. A lot of these things came up in the 2019 legislative session. It's unfortunate they've yeah. made their way back into 2021.
1: Ed, in other states where these sorts of measures are also being considered in legislatures, it seems like we've we've heard much more pointed rhetoric in those states. Uh, you know, we we spoke with Senator Beckencourt here in Texas, who's pushing a lot of this. And he makes it sound like this is just a lot of common sense reform of voting measures and that he's just trying to prevent the possibility of voter fraud and trying to create some uniformity uh, in the election system here. What do you make of that? The tone here seems like it's different than we see in other states.
2: I'm sure he's trying to sugarcoat it as much as possible, but if you're going to create uniformity why not create the kind of uniformity that expands access instead of uniformity that limits access? And Senator Bettencourt has no answer for that because that's not what this bill intends to do. And I'll give you a perfect example of something very similar to this. The Republican voter ID bill that passed in 2011 sought to limit the type of IDs that people could use and it had an unintended consequence. And what was then was that women who had maiden names on their uh, driver's license suddenly found that they had to uh, cast a provisional ballot because it didn't fit the new voter ID law. Obviously this is something from the past, but you see the unintended consequence hurt more people than it helped. And that's the issue with SB7 that you're seeing in 2021 is that you're looking at a suite of laws that will hurt more people than it helps. It's based on the big lie of the 2020 election. And it's, again, things that we saw in 2019 that are bringing their way back in 2021. One of those provisions is that people, they want to require that a voter registration has to be filled out on ink and paper. So not only are we one of like 10 states that doesn't have online voter registration, they actually wanna make it impossible for you to fill out a form online have it mailed to you where you just sign it and send it back. They say, no, that's not good enough. We, we want you to fill it out by ink and paper. What, what century is this that, we, uh, that we're passing laws like this? It doesn't make sense. Why are we cutting off? Why do we say voting has to end at 7 p.m.? Why can't it go to 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. for people who are shift workers or the working class folks who need a little extra time to get there later, maybe get there earlier? It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, there, there are other states that, that already you know, you know have the extended hours. Well, let's kind of dive into some of the nitty-gritty of what this bill is all yep. about. Uh, one of the things it would do, Ed, is eliminate drive-through voting, uh, which we saw a lot of in, in Harris County, outdoor voting, and mass voting sites, which were big all across the state. Uh, ballot drop boxes could not be used. We saw those used in November as well. Uh, We had State Senator Brian Hughes, who's the chairman of the State Affairs Committee on our television program Inside Texas Politics. He talked about one thing that the bill would do is actually purge non-citizens from the rolls. I think everyone probably agrees that we don't want non-citizens voting. But when you come down to purging people off the rolls, that gets really dicey and really tricky. And we saw what happened with that a few years ago. And then you mentioned the, the last big thing. And that is uh, requiring anyone who wants a mail-in ballot to prove their disability with a doctor's note.
2: Unenforceable.
0: At the, at the end of the day, I mean, here, here's kind of what I'm thinking on this, not, not to drone on because you're our guest here. I don't want to be like Wheeler and ask these long <laughs> Too questions. Late. But let me Too ask late. Too late. Let, let me ask it here. So at the end of the day, we know that this state is is controlled by Republicans. This is going to pass committee, Ed. I, I think you probably know that. It'll probably pass the Senate as well, and the governor's waiting to sign it. The question is, can the House stop it? At the end
2: of the day, what do you think? Look, it can stop it in committee, and maybe it can stop it on the floor. A lot of these Republicans who got elected in the last uh, cycle got elected by 2% or less, and many of their voters, Republican voters, remember, casting a ballot, the method of casting a ballot is not a Democratic or Republican issue, it is a voter issue and when you have to go to these voters and say hey we're taking away a method of voting i don't know how that's going to fly so i think that um one of the things that they have to consider now are if you're going to vote if you're going to take away a method of voting how do you justify it how do you explain that to people who are really just trying to go and make their voice heard i that doesn't it just doesn't fly. I'm sorry, I may have lost but, but where your question was going with that. But. No, no, no. <laughs> if you're a Republican in the House, let, let's say you're a
0: Republican in the House who, who just won by a couple of points, five points, less than 10. How, how do you how, how do you get to a comfortable spot where you please leadership? Because that at the end of the day, both parties want to please their leadership. How do you please leadership on, on one hand, but secondly, find the right language to, to uh, oppose this thing?
2: Ultimately, elected officials are accountable to their voters. And leadership may not like that, but leadership doesn't matter as much as the people they represent. And if they can't explain that to their voters and they can't stand up for the rights of their voters, then they don't belong in that chamber to begin with. And the leadership should understand. I don't know if the leadership does understand that, but uh, certainly the elected officials should. Well,
1: Ed, let's say that these things do pass, though. Uh, how how do you how do you tie that to a legislator who is in a tight race uh, come twenty twenty two? And beyond that, how do you invigorate your voters? How do you push them to the polls when it might be harder for them to be able to cast a ballot?
2: Well, look, I think that uh, one of the backlashes that people have to consider is how motivated will your voters be to show up and cast a ballot for you if they don't trust you, if they don't have faith in you, or how motivated will they be if they simply are just mad at you and don't like you? And like one of the things we saw in 2020 was we saw a, a really high voter turnout. And a lot of it was because voters were upset with Donald Trump. They wanted to send a message. Now, obviously, Texas stayed red, but that margin was diminished significantly this past year, and that is because voters wanted to have their say. Now, if these representatives, like I said, many of who won their race by 2% or less want to take that risk, that's up to them, but it's a dicey proposition for them to do that.
0: We watched also a similar effort on the other side, the Democratic side, going on in D.C. right now. Uh, the House on the 3rd of March passed H.R. 1, the House of Representatives in Congress. Uh, it's almost the same bill, as you probably know, Ed, that passed two years ago uh, in the House as well. But this one would create uniform national voting standards, overhaul, campaign finance, outlaw, um, partisan you know, gerrymandering and things mm-hmm. like that. But again, with each chamber having to pass these independently, how does that one make it through to the Senate and and pass and become law? You're talking about the
2: national bill? You're talking about the state bill? The the, the national bill. Well, look, I mean, what, what you need at the national level is filibuster reform. And the filibuster has been abused at the national level to the point to where they're not even actually filibustering anymore. They're just signing a piece of paper to stop legislation. This is, you know, the Federalist Papers taught us about tyranny of the majority. What we're seeing with the filibuster is tyranny of the minority and it needs to be reformed so that these voting reforms can take place. Otherwise, you're gonna see abusive laws like the ones proposed here in Texas become law and stop people from voting. You know, Jason, One of the things you mentioned a minute ago is the ability to purge voter rolls or to make sure that citizens are voting. And look, we all want integrity in our elections, but let's go back to what happened two years ago in 2019 when the acting Secretary of State, David Whitley, put out a list of some 100,000 people who may have voted illegally. In his his words, they may have voted illegally. The truth is, it was bad data that was seven years old. And I believe all of those people, if not all of those people, then something like 99.9%, I'm not sure they found a single person on there that voted illegally. These were people that had be, later become naturalized and cast votes. Well, what right. happens if you remove 100,000 people from the rolls because you have bad data and you suspect that they may not be citizens. Not only is that discriminatory, but it alters the outcome of elections based on the, the demographic profile of a voter that you are suspicious of. That is a Jim Crow tactic to suppress the vote. It's unacceptable and it is illegal, and that's not the kind of thing that anybody should be standing for, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican.
1: And you imagine the process of trying to get yourself reinstated if you're one of those people who gets uh, wiped right. off the rolls uh, inadvertently. Uh, I yep. want to ask you this because, you know, Republicans have been saying all along that they're just trying to Im- improve the the security of elections and, and and trying to make sure that it's airtight. Uh, and they think that they may actually be able to get some Democrat support uh, on some of these measures Do you know of anything where Democrats would be willing to say, you know what, maybe we should address this and this and this related to the way elections are conducted as far as making them more secure?
2: You know, when they they, Republicans throw out these claims about voter fraud, yet they can point to no instance where voter fraud has occurred and, and on a level where it has had an outcome, changed the outcome to an election. I think that Republicans fail to understand that they are winning everything in this state. And if voter fraud is an issue, maybe they're the ones benefiting from it. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of a contradiction with the way that they come out at this. And it makes you wonder, are they really interested in in so-called voter fraud? Or are they interested in having some people make making it easier for some people to vote and making it harder for others to vote? And I think that's the problem that we see here. By the way, no, I don't think the Democrats are going to come around on any of these issues because I think that these are all bad issues that they've put forward. And I don't think that they make any sense. Now, if they wanted to have a kind of issue where they say, "Okay, we want uniformity in election laws and uniformity expands access. Yeah, I think they would get some Democrats to come around on that. But that's not what they're interested in with SB7 or the House Companion Bill HB6 or a number of other bills that are out there.
0: So, so, Ed, this will be in the news a lot this week with the hearing on Wednesday in the uh, Senate State Affairs Committee. If, if you're a Texas voter out there and you're, you're kind of scrolling through your Twitter, your Facebook feed, or you're listening to this podcast, what would you tell
2: people specifically to watch for? I think the main thing to watch for is that when Republicans talk about election integrity, which is this is the word they use a lot, or the phrase that they use a lot, what does it mean? What, is, what do they mean by that? Are they gonna make something more secure such as like having voter registration be online voter registration i mean if you want to make on uh, voter registration secure and accurate have it done online they're not doing that. They're actually trying to do the opposite they're trying to make sure everything is pen and paper when they're looking to uh w- w- when they're do do these laws that they are branding as one thing actually do what they say they're going to do are they going to protect integrity, or are they gonna suppress the vote? And I think any kind of objective viewer is gonna recognize that when you limit the hours of voting, when you pick and choose who can vote by mail, and when you require some sort of evidence for somebody to say they're disabled, which is not only, I've mentioned before that that is a HIPAA violation, could also be uh, interpreted as a poll tax. When you look at these things together, That is not expanding the vote. That is suppressing the vote. And if voters, voters are wise to this. And I think that uh, they're also frustrated by it. And uh, if voters, when voters are watching, it should always come down to, what are the details of this bill? Because like the old saying goes, the devil's in the details. But
1: ultimately, if Democrats don't have the votes to stop this from happening in Austin, what do they depend on here? Do they depend on the frustration of voters to voice their opinions to lawmakers to try to prevent it that way? Do they count on stopping this in the courts after it has already been made into law? Or do they count on this nas- the possibility of a national law being passed by the Senate now and then signed by the president that would undo a lot of
2: these things? Uh, you mentioned three things. I would add a fourth, which is all of the above. I think that you—it's it, got to be all of the above here. Like the, the national piece is extremely important here, uh, but you don't want to leave anything to chance. You know, you, you you want to believe that our representatives are listening to the people they represent, and if that's the case, then ideally they'll make the right decision and they'll stop messing around with these voter suppression bills and focus on things such as COVID response or reforming the energy grid, all the things that voters want the legislature to focus on. These issues are not what people are asking for right now. At the end of the day, though, Ed,
0: stopping it in the Texas legislature seems iffy. Uh, getting the national bill passed with, uh, without getting rid of the filibuster, that seems iffy. Um, and if you look at filing this in courts to stop it, and this were to make its way up and ascend to the Supreme Court, it's a right-leaning Supreme Court. I, I mean, this is really an uphill battle for for the left, isn't it's it? It's a
2: right-leaning Supreme Court that ruled against every single voter case that Donald Trump brought before the court. And a lot of these laws being proposed are based on the same big lie that the Trump campaign pushed in 2020. And what most recently shot down one of those challenges last week. So, you know, I, I think that conventional wisdom would say that a partisan court is going to go one way, but the reality is, is that this court, this Supreme court with three Donald Trump judges did not vote for any of those cases before, because they just, those, the cases weren't based in reality.
1: Interesting perspective there. Uh, Ed Espinosa, director of Progress Texas. Uh, thanks for taking the time. We know that this is a very
2: busy time right now with a, a lot of balls in the air. It's a busy time, and I admit it, this this issue is a tall order, but uh, we gotta keep fighting. you know, Like I said, it's not a red or blue issue. It's a right or wrong issue. We gotta keep fighting for what's right.
0: So that's the, uh, the left's take on this. And clearly, Jason, it is an uphill battle for Democrats who oppose this, even though they control uh, the national level House and Senate. They do not control uh, anything at all here in Texas. So that, that's a challenge there. Before we move forward, though, in this podcast. Let me remind you about a survey that's in the description of this podcast, wherever you get your podcast. If you go back to your uh, mobile device there, you'll uh, see the description. And inside that description is a link. We'd love to have you click on it. We ask 10 questions, maybe 11, maybe 12. Whether you like Wheeler's hair better than mine, what your favorite beer is, how you found it., well, That one's politics. not fair it's not fair you always have better that one
1: that one wouldn't be fair (laughs) true true it would not be
0: but nevertheless we we would love to know a little more about you if you don't mind uh uh you know clicking down there when you stop to catch your breath if you're like me and you're running or riding your bike and you have to stop at the top of the big hill um that's a, a good use of your 15 second break right there That is
1: great. Uh, No ID required to fill that out, by the way. You can do it while standing in a line or driving through someplace. Uh, Mail it in. We don't care uh, how how you uh, mail it to us. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, let's get back to ballots, though, here. Let's get back to the voting process, because we still have to hear from the other side. And this is a key side to watch, because, again, Republicans have the votes uh, all the way through the process here in Texas. And as we mentioned at the outset, Senator Paul Bettencourt is behind a lot of these initiatives for what he says is uh, to increase voter integrity, voter security. You just heard Ed Espinosa there saying that that basically means voter suppression. But again, let's hear the Republican side of things and let uh, Senator Beckincourt lay that out. Let's get right to the criticisms because we've been hearing this a lot here and in other states. Basically, the way it lays out, Democrats say that Republicans are using the falsehood of widespread voter fraud as a cover to limit voter turnout in future elections because 2020 didn't go the GOP's way. What do you say to that?
3: Well, I say the facts are completely opposite to that because 2020 went the GOP way in Texas. We had uh, record turnout. Uh, highest level and also the best percentages of of turnout is in 30 years. So these these criticisms aren't based in fact. Look, when I look at my integrity seven bills, which are voter integrity bills, what do they do? Okay, well, let's get rid of the hyperbole and talk about what they do. I don't think people should be registered in two by three inch post office boxes, okay? I've got nearly 5,000 people in Harris County registered in little PO boxes. They don't live there. So they shouldn't be able to be registered there. And, and, and when you look through these, these are common sense reforms, not, uh, not some you know, grandiose scheme to turn back what was a big successful election and turnout. Uh, that was clearly obvious by the numbers.
1: You know, you, you point to the fact that it was a big turnout and that it was a successful election. Did did Texas have uh, verifiable instances of voter fraud in 2020 that you know of?
3: Well, I, I know for sure that the attorney general has initiated a, a case in Gray County and also a case in Bexar County against what are clearly voter uh, harvester operations. When I was tax assessor, I actually had a conviction in this issue. So I know that, that voter fraud does exist, but, I, but if you notice all my press releases, talk about what do we need to do to make things better? And one thing that we did need to do in Harris County or really in Dallas County, Tarrant County, you name it, is mail out absentee ballots to every person on the voter roll because that would have cost hundreds of thousands, not millions of dollars to get to the Titanic turnout that we saw uh, in November. We're not a universal uh, absentee state like Oregon is, um, but we don't, so we don't need to spend the money against the Supreme Court ruling, which is one of the reasons why uh, I, I filed one of the bills uh, specifically uh, to, uh, in this case, I think it's Senate Bill 208, to stop that from happening in the future. We yeah, one of to your- maintain voter integrity and follow the laws because you've got to have a voter roll with integrity to start this process.
1: Now, one of your bills, though, would also uh, limit uh, the ability of, of, of local jurisdictions to extend early voting hours. Uh, we saw uh, you know, some, some popular measures, uh, especially in the Houston area this last election where they had 24 hour voting in some cases. Uh, you know, we saw long lines in some of these urban areas uh, around the state Uh Is there a potential that by limiting those hours that those lines get even longer? And is there a potential that you turn off some Republican voters with those lines?
3: Well, look, actually, by using uniformity across the state, we've got rural and suburban counties that don't have uh, early voting hours past four or five o'clock. So people that get off work cannot go vote. and And because they have short hours. So, so my, my pick of 7 to 7 is you standardize the hours across the state so voters everywhere know where they can go. They can, whether they're in a rural county or an urban county, they know they've got till 7 to 7 and extend those hours through that weekend so that even people that are on shift work can have the weekend to go vote if they need it. So part of this is that you want to standardize best practices, and, and that's just a part of it. And, uh, and and the actual numbers, uh, you know, for people that are, using, that are using 20-hour voting were like, I think about 10,000, which sounds very big, but I remember in a county like Harris, you know, that's just part of millions of registered voters and they that turned out to vote. So um, we, we just have to look at what we're paying for because there are issues like you, we have very difficult to get poll watchers, uh, you know, to do 24-hour shifts. You know, there's just things that we need to have a discussion about. And that's one of the bills I filed because I think we need to have a discussion about it.
1: Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, a lot is being said about, you know, in election integrity and election security and, and and making voters more confident in the process. If we see a lot of these bills go forward and they are partisan in nature and the vote on them is partisan in the end, is there a risk that you do the exact opposite, that you that you erode confidence in the voting process for a a big chunk of the electorate that doesn't agree.
3: Look, one of the bills that that we filed was a very important one because um, it requires that it's 1112, which says you can never suspend signature verification on absentee ballots. Now, when you look at what happened in the battleground states in Atlanta and Philadelphia, uh, in Detroit and in, in Wisconsin, there were even, there were Republican secretary of states that made those decisions. There are other people that made similar decisions, but they should never make that decision because as a former elections official, you must keep the signature with the ballot, on absentee ballot. It's the only way to verify that person is the same that actually turned in the, that absentee ballot. There's no factor supposition to fact. There's no partisanship there. That's just simple, good operations. And that's one of the bills. These, th- Those things like, and not registering at PO boxes. The, the, we just have to make good decisions for all Texans. And if we do, then we're gonna get support from everyone that's looking at a voter integrity as a problem.
1: But, Senator, if these bills go forward with only Republican support, is there a concern that you'll have a big chunk of the electorate in Texas who feels like they don't have more voter confidence uh, after these measures go through, that it was a a partisan push?
3: Well, we haven't even had the bills to a uh, a committee debate, so I'm not going to assume this is going to be just a pure partisan vote. Uh, I think what we have to look at is what works and what doesn't work. I I started as a voter registrar in Harris County when the last big presidential election that royal politics was 2000, uh, Gore versus Bush. And we learned a lot about punch card ballots and what we didn't want to do. And we bought direct, uh, you know, electronic equipment, uh, DREs at that point. Now, even Harris County, and I'm lauding them, they're they're buying a DRE with a, a, a voter verified paper trail. So we're learning over time. So let's learn from the election let's, like I learned from uh, 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 20 years ago what best practices are because when I cleaned up the voter roll back then, and this is well documented, there were 50,000 deceased and felon registrations on the roll. 1% of those were voting in 1998. That's 500 votes. And that was roughly the margin of, of victory in, in Florida, in that 2020 presidential election. So I've made this a real study to, to, because you have to use extreme detail when you do these type of voter roll cleanups. Um, you know, Even though they're mandated by law every two years, you have to really know what you're doing. And so I'm trying to get, use the simple phrase that I've used in adult life, which is what gets measured, what gets fixed. And we, we have things we need to fix and let's have that discussion about it. And I hope that that will get Garner bipartisan support.
1: And uh, you hear his hope there. And if we go back to uh, Ed Espinosa, he says fat chance of that happening. That is not going to get Democratic support in this state, not from legislators, and he says not from a lot of voters as well. We will see uh, the fireworks as they start to go off on Wednesday. Uh, this was supposed to happen uh, earlier in the week, but uh, Democrats were able to delay this by just a few days at least. We will see if they have the ability to try to stop some of these measures from coming through. And again. And uh, Ed Espinosa there was saying it might depend a lot on uh, the reaction of the public, you know, uh, of, of constituents out there. So we shall see. Yeah, d-
0: Democrats really are trying to make this a, a big public event, and they should. That that that's their biggest hope moving forward because they are vastly outnumbered uh, when it comes to votes in the in the Texas Senate and the Texas House. But Ed did make a good point. If this does happen to to go to the court, if it passes, and there's a strong likelihood that it passes the Texas House and Texas Senate and is signed into law, but this will obviously end up in courts almost immediately after it's signed into law. If it does end up in courts and does ascend to the U.S. Supreme Court, it's a right-leaning court because President Trump named three different justices there. Ed makes a good point. The Supreme Court during the, the uh, 2020 election last fall, it didn't rule in favor of any of the uh, of, of the claims brought forward by uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani or any of the Trump campaigns. So uh, w- we'll see what happens with that. But w- will this become law in Texas? It, it Very good likelihood. Will it be challenged? You can bet it will be challenged. So there's another chapter be- to be written in this one, Jason.
1: And, you know, then I also wonder about that other layer, too. Are they poking the donkey here at a very crucial time as you have some of these U.S. senators who've been kind of sitting on the fence, not knowing whether they should vote to get rid of the filibuster in the U.S. Senate? Uh, Again, before the U.S. Senate right now are sweeping uh, changes uh, to the way that we vote here in this country to make it actually easier and to give more access. And uh, right now that filibuster is in the way. Might another state. I mean, we've been seeing all this happening in Georgia. We've heard about Arizona. Might, you know, if Texas does go forward with this and it creates enough noise, might that be enough to convince some of those more moderate Democratic senators who are sitting on the fence about that filibuster to go, you know what, it's time to do this so that we can start passing some of these things. So maybe the timing here will really matter uh, just because of that. So again, what? yeah no it, it, it
0: could uh, at the end of the day though every party in power wants to uh, get rid of the filibuster because they need to get a you know get across the line but uh, I, right I just I don't know if it's going to happen though obviously the, the the you know far left of the party of the Democrats want to get rid of it the progressives want to get rid of it the more traditional uh, conservative Democrats uh, don't want to I don't know who's going to have the uh, the stronger voice at the end.
1: Well, we're going to be sitting on the sidelines watching all of this play out, and it's happening uh, simultaneously in all these different levels here. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening to us today. Tell a friend about us or a family member. Tell them to uh, actually uh, follow us here on the podcast so they get the episodes every Tuesday. And fill out that survey for us, please, uh, down in the description part. We really appreciate that.